Hello and welcome to Cage Club. Two fans, 74 movies, one cage. Today's movie is City of Angels from 1998. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And we have a repeat guest today, Jordan Pullen-Clark, back from her Wild at Heart episode. Hello, Jordan. Hey, you guys. It's good to have you back. I'm so happy to be back. So this movie is a little bit of a difference in terms of enjoyment and sort of excitement from not only the last three movies we did, the Action Week movies, but also the last movie that Jordan was on for Wild at Heart. We had these four amazing, really great movies, and now we have this. This is definitely a drastic change of pace. Uh, Someone jammed on the emergency brakes very hard at the end of the last film, (laughs) and... Cage may have been suffering from some fatigue. Three back-to-back incredible action-packed movies. And this is just seems like a bit of a break for him. So, Jordan, why did you want to do this movie? Like, what inspired you to volunteer to talk about this movie? Well, I just wanted to be on your podcast again. I had, fun. I had fun the and... last time. And I... I saw this movie when I was, like, 12. I don't know. I think I... Yeah, I think that's how old I was when it came out. And... I, I don't remember not liking it, so I said, okay, I'll do that one. It just, ugh, it's boring. It's, it's a fine, it's okay, there's nothing wrong with it, but it was boring. Yeah, yeah, it's not bad. It's not like it's, you know, unlikable. It just sort of is. It's just a lot of Cage looking at people. It's a lot of Cage looking at things and just sitting on things and just sort of talking about what it's like to be living and what it's like to be human. I also think it's kind of this, like, a not believable love story. When I was 12, I was much more accepting of that. And watching it now, I was like, yeah, but this creepy guy just keeps, like, looking at you. (laughs) You don't know who he is. (laughs) I like things about the movie, but I just felt like it didn't sort of all come together in any sort of, like, genre, really. I don't know. It's very hard to place. Uh, it's it's sort of like a rom-com without the com, right? Like, it's just sort of like a straight-up, like, it's kind of structured a little bit like a rom-com. Like, they kind of have, like, a meet-cute, and then they fall in love, and then there's sort of the tragic ending. I don't know, or maybe it's like a Shakespearean love story. I don't know what exactly it is, but it doesn't necessarily adhere to any, like you're saying, any particular genre. It's just sort of a story that's told. I think that there's one part much later in the movie that hits exactly on what this movie should have been, but it only lasts for like 10 minutes and then it's over. The part where he becomes a human, he's fantastic for like 10 minutes when he has no idea what's going on with himself and he's just walking around talking to people who think he's insane (laughs) and he's asking if he's bleeding. Like, that's what that movie should have been. I loved that part. Yeah, that's definitely... The movie, you know, that should have come a half hour into this, and the movie should have been, you know, the angel adjusting to human life and things like that. We might get into it a little later, how this is sort of a remake, more like they took elements from a film and did what they wanted to, made up an entirely new story. Yeah, I feel like if you're going to do this for American audiences, they're expecting him to be human most of the film. A lot of this movie is Cage not really talking. So Cage is an angel. 
But they and don't he, say angel, you know? They like, never it's say angel. It's kind of confusing. No. The movie starts, and he's sitting next to, like, a, a sick child, and <laughs> she dies, and he's there to usher her away. But they never really use that term, angel. It's weird. Like, it's not hard to piece it together or anything, but I don't know. It was kind of perplexed by that. I feel like that actually happened kind of a lot in the movie, where either we or the characters were kind of meant to understand things that they never explain. And that's why I was annoyed with the characters and the way they built the characters, because they just kept going like, okay, to things that didn't really make any sense, <laughs> but just like went along with it and were totally on board as if it had been explained properly to them and it wasn't. Yeah, yeah it's like the, f- the filmmaker has this like unconditional acceptance that he is relying on the audience to have just like every step of the way, like just accepts like everything about this, <laughs> you know, like the main character does, like just accept he's an angel, just accept that she accepts he's an angel, just accept it, like and move on, let's just keep going. They never say the word angels and I was watching the movie with the subtitles on and the closest they ever really get is that when they're at the beach and they're like listening to that morning music it just says like angelic music playing and like that's kind of the closest the movie ever comes to saying hey you're right these guys are angels now with the matrix having come and gone they they look like they're from the matrix (laughs) they're standing like on top of buildings they're appearing and disappearing like here and there at will you know people can and can't see them i'm like matrix hasn't hasn't been released yet but from what i know now i'm I can't get it out of my head. It's funny that you say that because I think Cage is kind of miscast in this part, except for in the crazy part where he becomes a human for 10 minutes. And I wrote down that I thought Keanu Reeves should have been in this part. Well, what's actually kind of weird that you say about that is that there's another kind of movie connection, not necessarily a Cage connection, but supposedly the only real casting information I could find about this was that Johnny Depp was considered for the lead of this, and Johnny Depp was also considered for the lead of The Matrix. You don't think that City of Angels and The Matrix could be so tightly interwound, but maybe... I don't know, maybe just the the black trench coat look caught on in the late 90s, you know, and they just exploited the hell out of it in Hollywood. (laughs) I mean, even Kevin Smith's Angels in Dogma are based off of the Angels, not in this movie, but the movie that this is based off of, Wings of Desire. So Mike sort of mentioned it earlier, the movie starts, like, there's just like a, a young girl just dying. Like, it's kind of like a slap in the face, right? Like, about how kind of aggressively this opens like she's got this horrible fever this horrible infection 105 degree fever her mom's trying to like bring her temperature down gets her to the hospital and cage ushers her into the afterlife it's kind of a depressing way to start out a love story right if the rest of the movie had been like that it would have been really really sad and upsetting but i actually would have liked it a lot more i cried when he walked down that hallway with that little girl and he asked her what she liked the most and she said pajamas that's what she said right i just cried and it was probably the only i think i cried one other time but there was only two or three times in the movie where i actually felt anything so yeah super depressing kind (laughs) of a weird start to a love story at least it made me had feelings It almost reminded me a little of the opening of Face Off, funny enough, just because that starts with like this atypical gigantic action sequence at the beginning of the movie that typically comes at the end and this sort of starts with like i don't know it just felt like the end of another movie almost to me and it's just this really large dramatic moment that we're opening with that i would typically come to expect more towards the end of a film sure uh, as opposed to the beginning 
Yeah, and it is, you know, gut-wrenchingly eye-soaking. <laughs> you know, it'll get the tears going. Like, it's going for that. And we also learn here that angels have the magic power of reading people's thoughts, which is actually pretty cool. It's almost like the screenwriters kind of forget that they have that ability because it comes <laughs> back a couple times. Yeah. There's so many opportunities that they could have changed things around slightly and incorporated that more, or even just with characters on screen sort of have Cage or whoever hear the thoughts more, but they have, like, they're just sort of walking by and it's kind of, it's like when people are praying, but it's not even like when people are praying, it's just like whatever they're thinking about, whatever they're talking to themselves about. It's like a cool idea that just, again, sort of not fully executed to like the full potential of what it could have been. In Wings of Desire, I mean, I just got to get this out of the way, like that movie is 90% just the angels listening to people's thoughts like their their oh. job as in this film is to just pretty much just record what they consider is like the meanings of life almost you know in a way or like just these life moments that they're looking for and the angels like he hangs out with his partner most of the time and they just go around listening like to everybody and it's just this kind of strange but wonderful <laughs> way of telling the story no one is talking and you're just hearing their thoughts so do you think that they didn't do it as much as they could have so that they could sort of separate themselves from that movie i think they decided which elements they wanted to include and wanted to tell this meg ryan story which isn't at all in the original film like the angel does not necessarily fall in love with one individual as much as he falls in love with life itself and wants to experience mm. that there is a girl that sort of tips the scales for him however i feel like they wanted to include all the nods to the original in sort of this respectful way but it's mostly about this new story here they did themselves kind of a disservice by choosing that and then not following mm. through with it they kind of just included stuff that was important to the story <laughs> it's like we talk a lot about adapting novels and such and how it's hard to think of a film way to tell the thoughts of a character how easy it is to do in a book and it's so hard to do that on screen you know with voiceover and so forth and here they've built a believable device into the opening of the movie that they could have exploited throughout the entire film for such a thing like you could literally hear their thoughts if the screenwriter needed you to know where in the story you need to be <laughs> instead the movie is kind of like it's about that meg ryan story but it's also about touch which i guess is sort of the most human thing that we have as an angel like cage can touch things they're invisible unless they want to be seen if he touches things like he can't feel what he's touching and so he's sort of in this world full of sensation and he's just sort of one step removed and so he's talking to fellow angel andre brower former captain holt of the brooklyn 99 <laughs> they're sort of talking about touch and they're sort of talking about how it's this thing that they kind of both want or at least cage really wants and they just can't have it. In the elevator of the Bradbury building, a man touched a woman's bare skin by accident, but it made her turn and look at him in such a way. Do you ever wonder what that would be like? Touch? No. Yes, you do. Yeah. Occasionally, yes. It was about taste a lot, too, though, because those pears. Pears. Yeah, pears, not, <laughs> pears, no peach. 
this time around. <laughs> I think it's sort of like, I almost saw these angels as like aliens almost. I don't know. It's weird. They do a good job with them getting away from the classical angel stereotypes, right? Like they don't have wings. They don't have halos. They just walk around in black trench coats. You're like That's basically the only way you can identify them. They have like rules for angels, right? Like they, mm-hmm. they sort of have a series of things that like they're allowed to experience or that they can experience. And then another series of things that they're sort of unable to experience. A little girl asked me if she could be an angel. They all want wings. I never know what to say. Tell them the truth. Angels aren't human. We were never human. What if I just make her a little pair of wings out of paper? Tell her the truth. I told her. And? How does she take it? She said, what good would wings be if you couldn't feel the wind on your face? It all sort of makes sense. Like, it is, it's an unusual way of talking about angels, and I sort of like that about this. It's all, like, grounded. Like, they have their rules, and they have their sort of set of whatever. I think, for the most part, they do a pretty good job of, like, remaining consistent, and it sort of sets up these things that Cage wants to achieve that, you know, he wants to be able to taste, he wants to be able to touch, and he, that sort of drives him the whole movie. Can we talk about Nathaniel Messenger? He was one of my favorite parts of this movie. Meg Ryan is a doctor. She's sort of, I guess, a heart surgeon. Yes. And <laughs> she is. Just... Wait a second, though. If we believe Meg Ryan is a heart surgeon, I'm not going to have trouble believing anything else that happens in this movie. I'll just say that right now. Not that well, she's, she's like a bad actress or anything. It's just like she's a heart surgeon. I knew she was like a doctor, but that really caught me off guard. Well, Mike, you sound a lot like the people in the waiting room. <laughs> don't believe that she's the doctor. But she's kind of like an iconoclast doctor, right? Like, they're in Los Angeles. They're in the city of angels. And, like, she rides a bike to work. Like, nobody rides a bike in Los Angeles. That's ultimately going to set up, you know, what happens later in the movie. She's sort of, like, a little off the beaten path. But, yeah, she is, you know, this rom-com movie sweetheart is just presumably, like, the best heart surgeon at this hospital, right? She appears to be the only heart surgeon at this hospital. (laughs) So she's the best and the worst. (laughs) She's like Jeff Goldblum and Independence Day, right? She rides her bike to work. She recycles. You know, she's eco-friendly. Movies like, hey, this is a cutting-edge, you know, person (laughs) here, right? And look, she's, like, very smart. She's a doctor. She's all these things. Uh, And we get to see her, like, in action, too, and she's a really kick-ass doctor, you know? She's performing surgery and did her job, like, really well. She's rocking out to music, and, like, people are like, ah, you know, just another day at the office, and and suddenly there's, like, an issue, and there's, like, a cardiac arrest, and and Nick Cage, the angel, has been watching this whole thing. So there's a couple things that I want to point out here. Number one, this is the second movie in a row where Cage is married to, or, I mean, it's sort of, it's getting into that weird, like, how do we talk about the characters in Face Off? But Cage is sort of married to a doctor, or sort of in love with a doctor, right? Mm -hmm. Travolta, Sean Archer's wife in Face Off, is a doctor, and here Meg Ryan's a doctor. So it's sort of this period of his life where he's just admiring doctors. But the other thing that's kind of cool that it sets up is that Meg Ryan, and and she sort of has like a little emotional crisis about this in a little bit, Meg Ryan saves lives, and Cage takes lives. Two people's jobs, if you want to call it that, could not be further apart from one another. Part of why she feels so drawn to him is because she's starting to have this feeling that she actually can't save lives and that none of it's in her control. And even though she doesn't know, she she doesn't know he's an angel for a long time in this movie, right? Right. She's kind of 
drawn to him anyway, though, and you almost get... She has the sense that he has something to do with this feeling that she's having, except it's not really explored at all. <laughs> she's just like, you're yeah. this mysterious guy, and you're here, and I feel weird, and... There's so many angels in this movie, I wondered if... First, I was wondering, is he the angel of death? He's so far in the two scenes we've seen him in, he's taken someone's life. Well, not responsible for taking their life, but ushered right. them across the you know mortal coil there. Then I was sort of like, is he her guardian angel? Like, has he always been there sort of watching her grow up and all this kind of stuff? And it's at this moment where she's called back in and she's gory scene where she rips the guy's chest back open with a clamp and starts massaging yeah. the heart and like, you know, directly shocking the heart. And in that moment, like, they see each other like she can see across like the millennia and and he becomes visible to her and everything so i was like is it because they have always had sort of an attachment to each other has he always loved her yeah like i don't know if in that scene when she's having the open heart surgery if she can really see him i mean she looks right at him and it kind of shocks him but if just a guy appeared in her (laughs) operating room like she would probably like really freak out so I don't know if she necessarily can see him, but she can she can sense that something's there. They never explain it though. Like she looks right at him, and he's she like, does. "You see me," <laughs> you know, and he's <laughs> like, "What is that?" Like it's as if it's never happened to him before, too. Children and people like that, right? They say like children, the very sort of crazy people, <laughs> which isn't very nice, but like yeah, crazy no. people can see us, but like not normal people unless you want them to. And I, and that was sort of the line that made me go, "Oh, okay." Like he's sort of out of control of his powers or something because of her. She's having this effect on him, maybe. This sort of moment like shocks cage to his core right and this is when he's talking to andre brower and he's like have you ever been seen and and andre brower kind of says only when i let myself be seen have you ever been seen cassio you're looking at me no not by me and not by the dying or the delirious have ever been seen like you were a man in a diner once a blind woman turned to me all of a sudden and asked me to pass her the mustard. But she was blind. Ah, but she knew I was there. That doctor in the operating room, she looked right at me. She didn't see you, Seth. She can't see you. No one can see you unless you want them to. And if I want her to? What do you want her to do? To help her. But in this situation, it doesn't seem like Cage wanted her to see him. She still just sort of sees through it all, right? I disagree. Because he very soon falls in love with her. He might not be aware himself that he wanted to be seen by her, but he totally wants to be seen by her, maybe from the instant that he sees her. Yeah, I agree with that, actually. I think, like, it's this subconsciousness thing. I don't know if angels have those. This moment, like, causes... Meg Ryan to sort of have a crisis and go through this crisis of conscience like she loses this patient and he almost like I feel like feels a little responsible for that even though it's not his fault but it seems like he's going through this crisis like is like what I do worth it like what am I doing you know it's like they're going through the same problem like she's like why am I fighting to save lives and he's like why am I taking lives so there's a couple of things before we get to Messenger, before we get to Jordan Saver character, 
that are sort of a little bit weird, and I don't know if they're necessarily... Like, I don't know why they're really in the movie. Why is she in love with this other doctor? Does he serve a purpose? It serves a purpose in that, like, you can kind of see that she's trying to kind of do the right thing with her life and be with this doctor who she's clearly not really in love with because he only ever kisses her on the hand. The most romantic oh, place It's just so weird. Well, but the way they show their relationship is so strange. Like, it had me even questioning for a while whether they were even in a relationship. They're keeping it quiet because I don't think it's necessarily approved at the workplace, maybe. I'm not sure, but it seems like they're playing it down in public, and then when they're after hours, then it's sort of a more normal relationship. Yeah, I think they just wanted her to have conflict about whether or not she's in love with Seth. I think it serves the purpose of sort of this love triangle, however weak, you know, the three sides are. She needs to be at least sort of attracted, or we need to know that she likes humans first, so that, you know, when she falls in love with this supernatural guy, it's not like she's got like a thing only for angels or something i don't know exactly but i think it's more of like a love triangle thing and he also represents more like stability and like what you're supposed to do you just you know get married to this guy and married life the way they tell you you're supposed to kind of thing and just like she's not about that she needs to feel like she's in love and all that she can't just walk through a relationship without feeling anything I can buy that, but now, so here's the next thing I don't understand, and maybe it's just to set up a conversation later in the movie. Why is she saving this baby's life? A dumpster baby. Talk about 90s. <laughs> Dude, a dun- who's this? Oh, it's a, we found him in the dumpster. Like, what? Was that like, were they going out searching dumpsters for babies in the late 90s, <laughs> like around Los Angeles? This is crazy. They sort of ease into it, right? And she's like, well, what's this one's problem? The, the nurse is like... Oh, no insurance. And they're like, oh, yeah, I found him in a dumpster out back. We're just like, what? That establishes a couple of things. This is not the first time that Meg Ryan has gone to hang out with the babies to hide from everyone. Yeah. That's kind of a thing that her character, I buy it, she would do that. It also establishes that she has a friend because she's friends with the baby nurse. The friend who helps Nicolas Cage out later when he's looking for her. Does a little bit to show you the kind of doctor that she is. Not that they didn't already establish this, but like she spends time researching what's wrong with this baby. And she doesn't have to. Like She's a heart surgeon. That's not her job. So I don't know. It also kind of serves to establish how dedicated and crazy she is. So that second point about her having a friend, that's what I got out of it because when Cage later in the movie shows up to the hospital all out of breath, it kind of needs to set up that he needs to talk to someone that we know that isn't Meg Ryan. I don't know if this is necessarily true because it doesn't play out all the way through, but I don't know if you've read the book or seen the movie, but like in Bright Light's Big City, there's like that baby on the newspaper, you know, very sick baby that the city's tracking, and it kind of parallels the main character's story. Like it almost like this baby is broken and then she figures out how to fix it. And so it kind of parallels her life. Like, it does things in this movie, but it seems a little superfluous in a couple different ways. I found the sequence very strange at first and bizarre that she would just sort of go wander through the children's ward because you see, like, all these injured children. Like, I'm like, this is depressing. Like, you're trying, like, you just lost this patient. The guys, like, take off until Monday. uh, And she goes wandering through, like, the children's ward. And I thought it was, like, the children's cancer ward. I'm like, what is going on? This is not (laughs) cheerful. And then she goes and sits in, like, a whole room full of babies. And I was like, oh, well, that's, like, a really beautiful shot there. That's really nice imagery. And I was like, she's surrounded by so much death, right? She usually deals with people at the 
end of their lives, it kind of makes this is like a nice move by the screenwriters to where it's like her quiet places where the newborns are, where life has just begun, where they're as far away from death as possible. Seemingly, this little sick baby is like, I don't know, it, it maybe it does represent her and sort of like her inability to breathe and like her obsession with curing and I don't know. But yeah, there's a lot to go on there. The scene also serves to show to her that like none of this is in her control they've seemingly done every test on this baby this baby's still crying it's still not doing well and it's like you can do everything right and even if like you're the best at your job and you're doing everything you possibly can to help someone sometimes like they're just sort of beyond your control like they're just not able to be helped right but then she helps it (laughs) (laughs) things are out of your control until you (laughs) <laughs> Learn to control the situation. Read an extra book or two. or you, know. <laughs> hey, you got to read a little Hemingway, and then all of his questions are answered. But yeah, so this is the point in the movie where after she sort of tries to save this baby that we meet, Messenger, and he just sort of seems like this guy, like this overweight guy who's in for heart surgery. He's just eating chocolate ice cream in bed, like right before surgery. He almost sort of seems like comic relief. The movie doesn't tip off, I don't think how important of a character this guy is when we first meet him. No, that's kind of why I like him. He kind of sneaks up on you. You're like, why do they keep going back to this guy? Who cares? It's just a patient. And then he really sneaks up in the movie and is so important. Yeah, I thought this was just going to be sort of Meg Ryan's next, she's going to lose him. Like she lost the guy before and it's going to be throughout the whole film. You know, he's going to get sick. He's going to be wasting away. And Meg Ryan's dealing with him the whole time. But they really use him pretty well i thought uh it's it's quite different from wings of desire but i i thought that it was a nice sort of misdirection that dennis franz pulls off here it almost seems like his first purpose is just to be a patient in the hospital right because this is when cage first reveals himself to meg ryan and she's like visiting hours are over why are you here and she thinks that he's there for messenger are you in despair a patient you did everything you could I was holding his heart in my hand when he died and he wasn't alone yes he was people die not on my table people die when their bodies give out it's my job to keep their bodies from giving out or what am I doing here it wasn't your fault Maggie I wanted him to live he is living just not the way you think I don't believe in that. Some things are true whether you believe in them or not. So that's kind of like a cool scene. Like It's almost like he's just there so that Cage kind of has a reason to be there. This is the first time that he unveils himself or lets himself by, be seen by Meg Ryan, and she kind of falls in love with him immediately. Like, it's kind of, for a woman so put together and, you know, in this powerful, important job, like, she sort of falls head over heels for this stranger. Yeah, that made me mad. Yeah. This guy <laughs> who's just, bad. like, standing by the elevators, like, bumbling around, being like, I'm here to visit you. That's creepy. <laughs> That's not, you don't fall in so love creepy. with that. If you're a smart lady, you go like, you're a crazy person, please get out. 
This made me think of Dracula. He looks like a vampire. It's late at night. He's like in the shadows. He's sort of doing this weird angel hypnotism with his eyes on her. And like she is just like swooning over him. Like he's the most gorgeous thing he's, she's ever seen in her life. There are other films about humans meeting angels where angels give off sort of a pheromone or, you know, have just this otherworldly possession over people in general. But they don't set any of that kind of stuff up necessarily. No. Like they kind of touch people to make them feel a little bit better about themselves in the moment but they're not touching yet what makes things worse is that he knows her name and she's like how do you know my name and he points to her badge and then later she looks at her badge and her first name's not on it it's just her initial and like again like red flag like he's sort of set up like a stalker he's and she's in- just like she's totally okay with it He's an intruder, straight up. Like, he's intruding. Like, no one else is in the hospital. You should call security. But she's just like, whatever. Next time, come at visiting hours. This sort of sets off this kind of cute, but kind of creepy montage, right? Like, he sort of just starts following her around without her knowing. And he listens to her thoughts, and she's like, I really wish that I could get Seth's phone number. And he's like, oh, I guess I have an in with this woman. Like, that's good. And then he goes to her apartment and watches her take a bath? Dude. Like, it's so creepy. Dudes, this is unacceptable. Like, this is just <laughs> unacceptable. Like, he's using his, he's like Superman Returns, right? Like, when he eavesdrops on Lois Lane using his x-ray vision and his super hearing and stuff. Like, this is abuse of your power. He should get his wings clipped for stuff like this. I, I do not approve, and it's not helping me like the guy at all. And he's making these faces like, I shouldn't be watching this, but I can't turn away. <laughs> He has no idea how to talk to humans or, like, the right thing to do in situations, in real-life situations. So maybe this is, like, a little bit of that where, like, if you're an angel, it's just, like, totally normal to watch people in all of their different states. But watching it, I'm a human, so watching it as a human lady watching him watch her take a bath, it's comes off as very creepy. Oh, no, it's it's absolutely creepy. Like, it's... Oof. Like, <laughs> like I think it was probably supposed to be meant to be, like, sweet. Like, he just loves her and wants to be with oh. her and see her, but it was weird. I mean, he seems to be the only angel with, like, some kind of Asperger's syndrome where, like, he doesn't know how to speak to anybody. He keeps barely talking to twice. his angel friend. <laughs> I wrote it down twice that he's autistic. <laughs> And that is like, you know, in the original film, it's more like when the guy becomes human, he's very good with words and like you know because he's been watching people for an eternity since they've existed you know so like he knows very much about humans and he's ready to be one and this is like he just doesn't get he's like not he just like every look on his face is like i don't understand like what am i watching what am i recording like what is this humanity thing what's weird about it is that he's so good in some moments like he somehow i don't know how he does it i mean i guess he can carry things but like he gives her the book from the library and like it says kind of like cute little touch that sort of helps her get through something in her life it's a ghost like, book though like how can he carry that book like he shouldn't be able to <laughs> transport solid objects made in the real world well no because i mean when he's an angel like he can pick up knives and stuff he can carry stuff i think he has to be seen i don't know i don't know <laughs> i don't, I don't they did, they did not establish the rules around this but like he's so good like he gives her like this motivation that she needs to get through something in her life but at the same time just completely inappropriate just like watching her take a bath like he's so good with people and so bad 
mad with people at the same time. Speaking of checking out books, uh, I haven't read Immovable Feast, but apparently it's important to the director and screenwriter because they bring it up a couple times. Like a guy at the hospital's reading it, so Cage gives it to her and she mentions it later. But, uh, you know, the library, man, that is like the angel's domain. They may love going to the beach and nice return to the beach here for Nick Cage. Yes. Yes, I was thinking that. That is Cage's domain, but the angels, they love the library. There's scenes where there's just all the angels just standing there, and none of the angels, except for Cage and Andre Brower, ever talk. Like, we never meet any of them. But there are so many angels dressed in those black trench coats just standing around, whether they're at the beach or they're in the library, watching. Like, it's cool and beautiful, but it's also, like, really creepy. I mean, when they're at the library, especially, it seems like they're taking an interest in the love story. Like, they want to watch how it unfolds? I took it as, like, they're upset with Nick Cage for commingling with a human sort of thing. Like, oh, look what this angel's doing. Like, look at him. Look, look, everybody look kind of thing. And what kind of starts out to be, like, really cool and sort of interesting visually sort of turns out to be kind of scary from my perspective, where you end up realizing that there's uh, hundreds of thousands of invisible people in trench coats walking around you at all times, sort of, like, recording everything that's going on. At first, I got the vibe that they were not happy. The whole point is that, like, you can't read emotions on these people, right? Like, they're just sort of staring with blank faces. And I first got the impression that they were all kind of angry, that he was, like, breaking the unwritten rules of being an angel, like falling in love with a human. But then I kind of got the impression, and we never really know for sure. I guess we can sort of read through Andre Brower, who kind of gives him his blessing a little bit later. It almost seemed like they were like, well, you know... This is something new. Like, let's see where this goes. Yeah, that's kind of how I saw it, because they kind of do the same thing every day, right? The angels just get up, they hang out with the people. Sometimes they have to usher the people to the other side. And this is like a new thing that's happening in one of their lives. And to me, it looks like they're taking interest in it. Because it's in this library scene that Cage and Meg Ryan have their second meeting. It's nice to see you again. It's weird to see you again. Weird is nice. Do you do you come here a lot? I live here. What do you do? Read. No, I mean you work. Oh, I'm a messenger. Oh. Well, what kind of messenger? Like a bike messenger? No, I'm a messenger of God. Got a message for me? I already gave it to you. Well, did you use my pager? Because I usually don't get my messages unless you beep me. You've definitely been beeped. So I love how he is sort of like, what's it like to feel? Or he's like, what does it mean? What is feeling? You know, what is, what is like touch? And she's like, well, what do you mean? Almost as if, haven't you ever touched anything before? But then he has these little outs where he's like, like from a medical perspective. Like, you know, like medically, what happens when you bite into a pear or like, you know, like all those kinds of things. So I I thought that was kind of funny where he has these moments where he's about to get caught and then sort of twists the question around to suit more of like a scientific answer than anything else. Well, because it's the same sort of thing when they go to the grocery store, right? Or like that fruit stand. And he's like, what does that taste like when she's eating a pear? And she's like, you don't know what a pear tastes like? He's like, uh... I mean, like, what does it taste like to 
you. Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so this is around the time that she's like, who are you? What do you do? And he just comes out and he's like, I'm a messenger of God. You know, he doesn't say I'm an angel, right? But he's just like, I'm a messenger of God. And she's just like, well, that's a cool profession. All right, whatever. Like, you know, you want to go shopping? <laughs> do you think, like, in this part, do you think she still just, like, thinks he's being cute? Because, like, she also asks him where he lives and he says he lives in the library. And <laughs> he can't lie because he's an angel and she's already seen him pop up in her operating room magically. She's just like totally cool with this. She belongs in the psych ward. She gets really mad about it later. Like he's telling her all this stuff for the whole movie. Like I live in the library. I'm a messenger of God. And she's just going, OK. And then later she's like, I don't know who you are. Oh. Yeah, they have that breakup scene that's in every relationship film, except it's an angel breaking up with a human because they don't understand each other. (laughs) I think she was just doing that thing that girls do when they like a boy, and they're like, oh, he's quirky, it's okay, like, it's just... (laughs) He says these weird things, you know, and it bites you in the ass later. I like that he even can't keep his own sort of lie, like his terrible lies, but he can't even keep them straight. Like, later in the movie, she's like, where are you, friend? And he's just like, up. Oh, dude, and then- uh, oh, what's your last name? <laughs> oh, my name is Seth Plate. I'm like, dude, that is like the oldest trick in the book to like look around and grab a name out of something you see and he picked plate that's great but you know what's disappointing though is like sitting here retelling it it's funny it didn't make me laugh in the the movie and it should have the Seth plate thing was funny I I I (laughs) and what else was kind of funny was when he asks why people cry because I just thought of Terminator 2 immediately where it's like why do you cry and and like you're giving yourself away just stop asking questions just compliment (laughs) her just you know stop asking Ask her, like, how was your day? You're giving your angelness away here. You're not human. <laughs> You're not coming well, across. This, this goes back to the point that one of you made earlier. Like, he spends all this time watching humans. What's he doing, really, when he's not with her? He has a lot of time to think about, like, backstory and what he could say <laughs> yeah. to her. And he doesn't do any of it. He can't retain any of that knowledge. <laughs> it's in one ear, right out the other. And <laughs> every day is a blank slate for this guy. <laughs> like, he can't retain the knowledge, but he also doesn't necessarily care. Like, they go to the hospital, and, like, they're looking at her blood, and she's like, let me look at your blood. And he's just like, sorry, you can't. Like, we just can't do that. And, like, that's it. Like, she's okay with that. He doesn't really explain why, but, like, he's not trying to hide who he is. I mean, he tells her, like Jordan said, he tells her that he's a messenger from God. He's just, he's basically saying, like, hey, like, you realize, right? Like, I'm an angel, right? Yeah, I don't think he can pick up on her sort of, like, sarcasm, right? I don't think angels get that i think they just take everything like at face value so when she's sort of like Haha, you're an angel right whatever like Haha. okay cool like i think he's like okay so like she buys it like all right she's cool <laughs> with that now and then later when she's not cool with it he's like i, I don't get it I thought-, I thought you understood i was an angel but they're-, they're chatting about like heaven and the afterlife right i mean this is sort of the classic scientist doctor believer in facts yeah. and medicine jack has like Lock. This- yeah <laughs> has like this realization, you know, sort of sort of like Scully in the X-Files, has this realization that like there's something greater than her at work here. She can be a great doctor, but like there's there's a plan that she can't that she's not a part of that she's not privy to. She's oh, a horrible right. doctor. She just leaves that strange man in the hospital by himself. Oh, and she's like stay right here. 
he yeah. gets like a panic attack. He's like, yeah. should I stay here or should I do what he <laughs> says or should I just be an angel and like do what I usually do? And he just does what he usually does anyway. And Dennis Franz is what, choking on a donut or something? I don't know. He's having trouble breathing, but like she fixes, like whatever the problem was, it, it seemed like a bigger deal than it actually was. She sort of fixes him real quick. <laughs> that was just an excuse to get into his room. Yeah. Like, they could have done a better job. Whatever she did, it looked like the nurse really could have just done it, but they called the doctor over to do it. And it was really just an excuse to, I feel like, get our eyes into his room so that Nick Cage could then go into his room. Yeah, like, it's something as little as, like, he's got, like, the breathing tube. I guess he just had surgery and had the breathing tube and then woke up and started choking on it. So she just had to take that out and put the oxygen tube in his nose and that's it like problem solved yeah that is set up something to come around a little bit later if you're (laughs) paying that close attention the fact that dennis franz is having trouble breathing through his nose uh comes around towards the end of it does it with the baby it's what's wrong with the baby uh meg ryan's an insomniac but we don't really get a lot of that until someone's like oh you don't sleep even when i do come over and then later on she can't sleep and she has sort of this revelation that the baby can't sleep and that's why it's sick and it has sort of like an air block in its nose or something. So maybe that baby's not just reflective of Meg Ryan. Maybe it's reflective of everybody in the movie. The baby is everybody. <laughs> We're all babies. Symbolism. I like that. But yeah, so we get back into Messenger's room, right? And it's just Cage and Messenger. Cage is sort of went on this like cute first date, and he's sort of abandoned. Like Meg Ryan's like, hey, wait here. And then he leaves. It's like he's got like no short-term memory. He's just on the date, and then he leaves, and then he's just hanging out with this guy, I guess just doing his angel thing, watching him. Messenger's like, hey, I, kn- I can't see you, but I know you're there. And we're like, what? Nathaniel Messenger, glutton, hedonist, former celestial body, recent addition to the human race. I don't believe you. You want proof? You hang out at a library. You can speak every language. You travel with the speed of thought. And you're reading my mind right now. Stop that. You're doing it. It's impossible. Some things are true whether you believe them or not. How? You choose. Choose? To fall. To earth. You take the, the, the plunge, the, the, the tumble, the dive. You, you jump off a bridge, you leap out a window, you just make up your mind to do it and you, you do it. You wake up all smelly and aching from head to toe and hungrier than you've ever been in your life, only you have no idea what hunger is or, or any of that stuff, so it's, it's all real confusing and painful, but very, very good. Human. Hmm. Listen, kid. He gave these bozos the greatest gift in the universe. You think he didn't give it to us, too? Which gift? Free will, brother. Well, I just thought that was maybe the first interesting thing that happened in the movie. <laughs> like, <it was laughs> 45 minutes in. Because it was so unexpected. We kind of have met this guy. We think he's nobody. And then he turns out to be so important. He really is what makes the whole movie happen. Because as it turns out, Messenger used to be an angel and is now a human. And he tells Nicolas Cage how he can do the same thing. So he really plants the seed that Nicolas Cage can become a human and be with this woman. I thought it was insane that angels weren't aware that they could become humans. It's not common knowledge between angels, you know? Like, he sort of goes back and tells his buddy Cassiel, he's like, 
did you know we could be human and like eat a lot of food and get a triple bypass surgery and like that whole nine yards like what it doesn't sound great i feel like angels just are too willing to accept the life they're given this sort of goes back to the library scene if they are interested and they're not angry but they're if they're interested in what cage is doing it's like oh i guess like we can do other things like look at this sort of free spirit he's trying something new Everybody else, for the most part, just seems okay sticking to the status quo. They don't know that they can become humans, but I also don't know if they necessarily would want to. sort of takes that singular individual that basically falls in love, right? That makes him want to do something crazy. I also like that he became a human because he'd been an angel and because he knows, you know, there's life after death and all this. He just, like, treats himself like shit, kind of. (laughs) Swims naked in the cold ocean, eats all the food after he has his heart surgery i just think it's a fun character it's sort of about like being human right like it's you're you're allowed to treat yourself terribly if you want to like that just that's part of being alive like you have free will he's like do you think that he like god do you think that he just gave them free will he's like no he gave everybody free will like you have it too start using it you have the right to end up looking like me, Dennis Franz. Like, horrible. <laughs> you know? That's what I'm saying before. It's like, he is not the best ambassador for, like, I used to be an angel. Um, check out how awesome I am. But he I am, is I'm- for this story, though, because he did it for the same reason where he was in love with a woman, uh-huh. so he became a human so he could be with the woman, and he seems to have zero regrets about it. Still is in love with the woman, they have kids, he's super yeah. happy. He feels much more like the angel from wings of desire that he's meeting like that guy wanted to become human because he fell in love with all of life so you would sort of expect that he would overindulge once he became normal and you know have kids and all that kind of stuff and and with cage like his he's much more just focused on meg ryan like it's much more of like a singular obsession and so i don't know like i feel like he's i almost feel like he wouldn't be able to handle it the same way that dennis franz could because they're doing it for different reasons I got the impression that uh, Messenger was the same way when he first... Because you can't know that you're going to, you know, be a glutton and eat all the food if you've never tasted food before. But you can pick up on it pretty quickly once you get to eat. (laughs) I suppose, yeah. Nicolas Cage fell in love more with her mind, I guess you would say, because they don't have a physical relationship whatsoever. So he wouldn't know what that was like. So, yeah, he wants to be human just i guess so he doesn't have to what i mean because he could do everything he needs to do except feel her so like he just needs that sensation of like yeah which i mean but what you can argue is like the most important thing right yeah yeah it it is yeah it's the one thing (laughs) missing and it's the most important thing yes okay Oh, you, you know, he can do everything except for that one most important thing that he really wants to do. <laughs> now, what's kind of interesting here that we learn from Messenger, and I don't know if this is him sort of selling his wife short, but we find out that Messenger didn't tell his wife who he used to be, right? He's just like, it's too much for her. Like, it doesn't seem too much for Meg Ryan. She's kind of, she has a hard time a little bit trying to process everything about who Cage is. It's just sort of interesting, like, I guess this is a question for Jordan because she brought it up earlier. Would it be too insane for the normal person to believe that this person that they're falling in love with is an angel? I thought it was interesting that, you know, Messenger didn't tell his wife, but, like, Meg Ryan, for the most part, seems pretty receptive to it. She only had, like, one day, though, to deal with it. We don't really get to see what would have happened to their relationship, you know, a week or a month or a year down. 
down the road, Nicolas Cage is who he is because he's an angel. Is he going to stay that same person when he becomes a human? Like, is this relationship really going to work? Because he's going to have to adjust (laughs) to the world, and it's probably going to change him a lot, and they don't really know each other at all. Yeah, I had a lot of questions about that. Yeah, that's interesting. Like, she falls in love with Angel Nick Cage. So, like, a couple years down the line when, you know, he's experienced life and has, like, found himself and become, like, a complete person, is she going to still be in love with that guy? That That, that is an interesting thought. falling in love thought. with a baby. <laughs> it all goes back to that baby. But who does, yeah, right back. Who doesn't fall in love with babies at first sight, too? So just to put a, an end on the Dennis Franz thing, like, I, I agree with you, Joey. Like, he's almost saying, like, humans in general wouldn't be able to accept knowing that angels are real knowing that aliens exist, you know, all of those crazy things that we hear about that, you know, what if you woke up tomorrow and there was a Frankenstein monster on the news or something, you know, a guy come back to life, a zombie attack. And I think that's what he's getting at. He's just like, you know, the human mind is is a small mind and, you know, angels, you know, they know about the vast universe. Meg Ryan is just like so down with it. Like he already told her, like it's too late and she's already accepted it, you know, and you can tell like she accepted it deep down, even when she throws him out, he comes right back. And she's like, thank God you did the human thing because I do love you. Like we were talking about, like she falls in love with him from the very beginning. She wants to know more about Cage. Like she's looking for more info. She's asking him about himself, but almost like doesn't care. Like she's just kind of cool with whatever. I think she just so much wants her life to be different and so much wants to feel something that he makes her feel that no matter who he is, she just goes, okay. I mean, she really should have just taken, like, ten minutes, gone downstairs to the chapel and talked to, like, the hospital chaplain and just been, do you know there's angels walking around the third floor? Right? (laughs) That's kind of my problem with it is, like, she has this friend, there's people around. She never once goes to any of them and goes, like, hey, this happened. Like, this was weird. Can we talk about this? <laughs> she just, like, holds it all in and gets upset about it. And, like, she she gets upset again. Like, and, and Mike was just talking about, like, she wants to feel something that they finally have their first kiss. I guess he just, like, doesn't know how to respond to it because it's, it, like, he can't process any of what's happening, right? I guess he just doesn't respond well because she gets, this is when she gets mad at him, right? Like, she slaps him. Yeah, I mean, how, how how would you feel if, you know, there was just nothing behind, like, a kiss of passion, right? Like, I think that's what she's getting at. It's like, he felt nothing from that, and that's a problem for her. Like, she felt something. Why can't he? You know, I think that is what they're getting at. Jordan, help me out here. If a guy it's- kissed you and he backed off and was just like, I feel nothing, that would be pretty <laughs> insulting. Especially because they've spent all this time falling in love and, like, feeling things and then to kiss and have that not be still true is really strange you know it's one of those rightful i'm angry now like and it's too bad you don't understand you've been around before humans you should figure this out by now (laughs) like don't kiss me till you're human (laughs) i mean like i don't think that she's wrongly upset about it it's just that like she's upset at him for something that like really he has no control over right like it's not it's not his fault that he can't feel she did know the deal and this goes back to sort of like to, to leaving Las Vegas, right? Yes. Like, there's like a contract between these two people. Cage in both situations is like, hey, like, you can get whatever you want out of this, but like, my end sort of has limitations. Don't expect me to be able to do things that I'm not physically equipped to be able to do. But I also think this goes to back to her not really hearing him. When he's explaining to her what's mm-hmm. really happening, she doesn't hear him. She just goes like, 
looked okay. And yeah, kind of those, moves on. <laughs> it's those dreamy eyes, you know. It's like the Dracula effect. It's almost Joey like how not in just Cage movies, but lots of movies, people just fall in love for, at first sight, and it's just because it's love, and you know because that's the way it is. They really sometimes there's just no deeper meaning to it, you know, Romeo and Juliet and Valley Girl, right? Like you just get hit by Cupid's arrow sometimes, and I think you know we're seeing that yet again with on Meg Ryan's end where she's just like look at this tall dark dashing beautiful man you know he's an angel he's supposed to represent like this ideal whether he does or not it is 1998 but to her I think it's just like oh he's a beautiful man like you know he's there to listen he's a listener but I don't know (laughs) it's hard to validate her feelings for him because it's happening so fast so it's kind of after this kiss and she's upset that he can't feel back there's nothing there's no emotions on his side that they go to messengers sort of like getting better party he's healthy and he's sort of having everybody over all these important people in his life right like his doctor and his new friend the fellow angel cage is again like really good with kids and the kids i mean i guess he's sort of he's visible to everyone at the party but they take a picture of him with the kid and he just sort of shows up as like a sunburst like he's not in the picture and meg ryan like doesn't freak out at this like somehow thinks this is totally normal but then she starts to talk the messenger try just trying to learn more like hey like this is kind of weird right this is like definitive proof that something's not right and she's still kind of on board with it well he tries to make a backstory for him right it's kind of like when you meet a friend's friend and you have a crush on him and you're like oh i'll go ask my friend like about him and she kind of does that and he makes a backstory where he says like oh he works construction with me and she's like i thought he was a messenger he's like oh yeah he's one of those hyphenates like he's a construction worker messenger guy (laughs) this bothered me a little bit because messenger and cage were hanging out together like on top of a construction site talking about being angels being humans and they had plenty of time to get their story straight you know he, he should have just like told her like i, I want to do what you did because of this girl and he's like oh the girl that operated on me like i'll have this barbecue and we'll sort of have another meeting between you guys and i'll like put in a good word but no like <laughs> they do have the barbecue and stuff but he's like yeah he's working in my construction site that's <laughs> the ticket like i totally forgot to get that information whoops <laughs> well like we, we never see a scene like this but it's almost like messengers like hey we should come up with a plan and cage is like no we'll just wait (laughs) we're on the same page right like like i'm i'm the kind of guy who has no backstory and like doesn't have a name doesn't have anything but like we're good right like we we know everything about my story right and then they go to her house right and they start cooking dinner and this is kind of when she she starts to grill him a little bit and this is when she's asking him all the hard-hitting questions that jordan loves so much like are you a drummer like, are you a drummer? <laughs> but she also stabs him. She stabs him in this part. Cause she well, start, he cuts right? his hand. Oh, and he then cuts she his, stabs He him. cuts his thumb off. Well, right. he cuts through his thumb. It's like one of the two special effects in this film where <laughs> the night, he's like cutting lettuce and it goes right through his thumb. I actually had to rewind it and go, whoa, what? what? <laughs> I thought it looked pretty cool. I was like, did she see that happen? And go like, all right, that might be a little weird, but I'll give it 10 <laughs> minutes and see if something weird happens again. And <laughs> She takes a knife and just cuts his hand. He's like, what are you doing? And then he's holding the towel over it and she pulls it away. There's no blood there. There's nothing there. She's like, okay, like what's going on? Like, who are you? Who are your parents? What's your last name? Are you a drummer? <laughs> I wait all day just hoping for one more minute with you, and I don't even know you. What do you want to know? Why do you wear the same clothes all the time? Why won't you give me your phone number? Are you married? 
Are you homeless? No. Are you a drummer? Why don't you ever touch me? I don't want to hurt you. You won't hurt me. So what province is it in Canada where you were born? I wasn't born in Canada. What are your parents' names? No parents. You have very delicate hands for a construction worker. I'm not a construction worker. Very, very pale hands. Let me see. Why did you do that? Let me see your hand. No. What's your last name? You know my last name. No, I don't. Plate. Seth Plate. I cut you. I cut you with it, with that knife. I felt it go in. You felt it. Not the way you do. The way I do what? What does that mean? You mean the way a, a doctor does? The way a woman does what? The way a human does. And then she does she kick him out then? Yeah, she, she definitely does not respond well to all this. Like she's like, I'm okay with you being not necessarily normal, but like, be honest with me. Up until now, she sort of laughed off like his quirkiness, you know, like yeah, okay, like you're an angel, like whatever, you know, like I'll get you some help later. But right now, I, I want to be in love with you. And and now that she actually sees him cut through his hand and like no blood. You know, no parents, Mr. and Mrs. Plate don't exist. Like, (laughs) this is a confirmation that everything is true. And she, you know, maybe Franz was right. Like, she starts to break down. He's like, I was there. That was me. And, you know, I was there. You did see me at the beginning of the movie in surgery for like two seconds. Like, I love you. Yeah, it's like she goes, oh, you mean you're really an angel. (laughs) (laughs) And she can't deal with it. Enough is enough, sort of, for her at this point in the movie. She's like, get out. Like, I can't deal with this right now. But then, like, they both kind of have, like, a little bit of Dark Knight of the Soul. Like, Cage goes to a bar to smoke some cigarettes, and she kind of gets a little sad. But then five minutes later, like, literally five minutes later in the movie, he's back in her apartment, invisible at first. But she's like, I know you're there, and they're kind of back in love. And he does ghost to her. It's that same shot from Ghost with the Clay, (laughs) without the Clay. Yeah, he just sort of sneaks up behind her, right, and just embraces her. One point, he does a face waterfall. I'm not even kidding you. Like, he puts her his hand over her face and sort of swipes past it. I'm not sure if it's in this scene, but it's in this movie. It's earlier when she's crying on the steps. Like, it's that's right after she thinks that she sees him in the surgery room. Okay, but... And I... she goes to cry about the dead patient. He, he does sort of face waterfall. Like, he puts his hand real close to her face. Yeah, and this is just... she. They're, it's like ghost dancing, right? And ghost spoon. Like, she, he doesn't make himself visible to her. This is weird. Like, I almost felt like if you make yourself visible, that's it. Apparently, he's back into his stalker mode. But he's back, and they're sort of back in love. And we kind of get a shot that we had in Leaving Las Vegas, where Elizabeth Shue was kind of... They're, they're spooning, and she's kind of almost motherly, right? Like, nurturing him and, like, calming him down in his troubled time. And Cage does that here to Meg Ryan, that she's, like, an emotional wreck. She can't sleep. Her whole love triangle is kind of blowing up in front of her face. And he kind of, like, spoons with her. He gives her exactly what she needs, and this is the first night 
all movie and probably the first time in maybe months that she's able to actually get a good night's sleep. Love from an angel was all she needed. This is the part where Angel by Sarah McLaughlin plays. Yeah, the song that's become synonymous with pet rescuing. I mean, I have to mention that because it's all I thought of. He's rescuing this fragile, broken kitten, Meg Ryan. (laughs) This song is playing, and my association is just going off the charts here. She wakes up, and she finally had this good night's sleep, like this is the love that she's needed, and she goes to work. And then her doctor boyfriend is like, hey, like, let's get married. This love triangle is just, it's very complicated now. She wakes up and she, like, knows how to cure the dumpster baby. She goes and, like, does that real quick. And then she gets a proposal from her kind of not boyfriend. And that came out of nowhere. I, I don't know what that was about. I mean, <laughs> I was just like, that is less believable than this angel becoming a human, as far as the story's concerned, because he hasn't been seen for, like, an hour, this guy. <laughs> he just disappeared. Did she say yes? No, she doesn't really give an answer. Like, he wants to go on vacation with her, I think. And yeah. he also wants to marry her like in, in an earlier scene he seems like he's the kind of guy who always needs to be doing something like he likes being around her but doesn't necessarily like being with her he likes doing activities right and it doesn't matter who he's with almost she wants to feel special which is rightfully so like she wants to be with a guy who basically like lives to be with her and that's exactly what cage is giving her and so in this scene he just kind of sits down and like awkwardly stares at her and he's like hey I'm being with you right now. Like, let's go on vacation. Let's get married. Let's just, re- let's let's do this thing. And she's like, I have a lot to deal with right now. I gotta go talk to the messenger. I gotta figure out what's going on with this angel guy in my life. Hold on. Like, let's, let's pump the brakes. I need to get a lot of answers right now. Yeah, I mean, this poor guy, like, he just has no idea what he's up against, you know? He <laughs> is dealing with an unblinking angel, right, who, like, needs everything explained to him. Is there, like, anything, man or woman, like, do you, is that not the best situation where, like, you you could just have this person, like, you could explain everything to this person. Like, you never kind of get kind of tired of that. I don't know. Yeah, he's got a lot to compete with, with Nick Cage as an angel. Poor guy. He's pulling out all the cards. So she goes to talk to Messenger, right? And, like, what I don't really like is that Messenger is the one who basically tells her, maybe it has to be this way, I don't know. But in this one scene, Messenger basically tells her that not only is Cage an angel, but he's an angel, too. Yeah. Or like, they're a former angel. Seth knows no fear, no pain. No hunger. He hears music in the sunrise. But he'd give it all up. He loves you that much. I don't understand. He can fall. He can give up his existence as he knows it. He can give up eternity and become one of us. It's up to you. How do you know this? Because I did it. It's so much information that, like, you know, he's presumably, Messenger is presumably in this loving marriage, right? And hasn't told his wife this, but is now telling Meg Ryan? I guess, again, going back, like, she's receptive to all this, but, like, this is a lot of info to dump on her. It's heavy. It's like the people in this movie look at her and go like, oh, she's so special. She can understand this. We want to tell this to her. Except as an audience, I don't feel that about her. So it's really strange that everyone in the movie treats her this way. 
Yeah, she's a heart surgeon. She's got such a stressful job. She's such an important <laughs> person just because of her title. Dennis Franz, man, you are way out of line here. Like, you haven't even told your wife you're an angel, and you're going to tell your doctor you're... Like, I've been liking some of this movie. This is just bad screenwriting, right? Dennis Franz doesn't get to spill this secret, does he? I, I don't. No. I feel like it's wrong for this character to just be, like, doing this. Angels are real. Deal with it. God exists. There's probably a devil, too, you know? <laughs> Who knows what's really at the core of Pluto? What sort of bothers me about this is that, like, she has all the information, right? Like, this is the first time that she's playing with a full deck, that she knows exactly what's going on, exactly who Cage is, and, like, how does she react to it? Like, she goes to the library and is basically like, I can't deal with this anymore. You are so beautiful. You'll always be that way. Jordan asked me to go away with him and get married. He knows me. He knows the demands of my work. You don't love him. He and I are the same. And I want that. And I want somebody who can feel my hand when I touch him. But you can feel me. You felt me. I want to say goodbye. I don't want to see you again. The reason that Dennis Franz told you everything is because you're able to accept it and that this is the love that you deserve, <laughs> yes. that Cage is supposed to give you. And she's like, all right, cool, I'm leaving, bye. Now that uh, the full story is confirmed, I get it, all right, I'm down, I understand. I don't want this. <laughs> I can process this, but it's not the life I want. <laughs> he knows that the guy proposed, and I think it's kind of like the ultimatum, right? She's like, if you want me, you got to become human, right? Like, I got to be able to, you got to be able to feel me back, you know? Like, peace out. I'm going to Tahoe. Catch you when you're real. He has no real choice in this point in the movie, right? He goes up to this construction building. Like, okay. We need to talk about how you actually become human. Like, you just need to fall. Like, I guess, you know, falling from heaven. Like, like he really far, to, though. He like, goes up to the top of the skyscraper and just jumps off. Like, that's how you become human. Like, I think Dennis Franz is like, you know, you take the plunge. You got to fall. And I think it's more like a metaphorical, like, he means you got to, like, fall from grace, this or that, you know. Like, I don't think he actually meant, like, you got to, like, jump from a building and, like, commit angel suicide. But uh, No, but he did because it worked. But yeah, <laughs> that is what you got to do. Like waking up in a dream and in, in Inception, you got to kill yourself to wake up as a human if you're an angel. This is also weird. Like he wakes up to all these construction workers just sort of like looking at him like he's a crazy person, like laughing at him. One of the construction workers is Nick Offerman, Mr. Ron Swanson himself. And they all think he's just like this weirdo guy. Like I guess they didn't see him fall. But like you show up to work <laughs> as a construction worker, you see a guy passed out on the ground with blood around him you think it's like entertaining and funny like it's just sort of weird and they're just like ha get out of here like you don't belong here i wondered if he did it at the messenger's construction site just in case there was like any questions later messenger could like tell the police like oh no 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 like everything's oh i <laughs> i kind of assumed he was at messenger's oh, construction okay. site i kind of thought for a second messenger might be there the actual no. fall itself is like when you see the guy falling is like really incredibly well done I thought yeah. like that slow-mo shot of Cage from his point of view like I didn't see any digital trickery through the seams there even though it had to be done digitally to some degree with a green screen or something but yeah this this sequence was like 
very different than the rest of the movie and pretty cool actually you know for what it is for a guy jumping off a building like this is where the movie becomes like a good movie like it's this beautiful shot of him falling and killing himself to make himself alive and then he becomes awesome nicholas cage when he's alive yeah he's so fun yeah this is by far the best like part of the movie coming up one thing that's kind of cool that we learn about cage as a person that i read from the trivia is that like in this scene and in the scene where he and messenger are sitting at the construction site like on that beam they were actually up there and both of them, they're talking about how, like, scared of heights humans are. But apparently, in reality, both Dennis Franz and Nicolas Cage are both scared of heights. But they put them up there. Like, you're right, Mike. Like, it is sort of more practical effects. Like, there's some kind of blending to CGI when he's actually falling off the building. But, like, they actually did this. And that's kind of cool. Like, it shows. Yeah, they're always sitting way up high. If you're an angel, that's, like, an, an angel thing. They're sitting on freeway signs at the top of parking garages. They're standing on top of construction sites. They're sitting on top of an airplane at one point in an airplane hangar. So, yeah, there's just anywhere to be up high. And, yeah, most most of that stuff is very effective. You know, there's scenes where they show tops of buildings and there's like 10 angels on there. And you're like, oh, that's visually striking. Like Jordan was saying, this is when it becomes really kind of a good movie. And, like, he's just sort of running around like he's singing and dancing and just running up to strangers and just basically saying hi, asking for directions to the hospital. He can feel. Like, this is everything he's wanted. He can smell. He can taste the blood in his mouth he can sort of touch the world this is exactly what he wanted he's just like overwhelmed by like joy and just possibility you see me you see me can you see me oh yeah we can see you all right yeah you're invisible drug is this blood (laughs) this is blood is it red red is it red (sighs) color he's super fun it's like he is like a baby now when you're a baby like literally everything that happens to you is a new thing that's happening to you everything you learn is so beautiful and amazing and new and he's so excited about color and people and blood and it's just so fun down and down and down i go round and round and round i go round and spin loving the spin i'm in loving that old black magic called love and it's also funny because he looks like a crazy guy like if you're anybody else you just see this guy like running around like really living life you're like what's wrong with that guy and also he's still covered in blood (laughs) he's still covered in blood and he basically sprints to the hospital gets inside and is all out of breath he's like hold on i gotta catch my breath he's like hey breath like i gotta catch my breath thank you rice are you a patient no, I just need a fireplace. Then you'll just have to call her office. I'm sure someone there will be able to help you. Do you know where she is? No, sir, I do not know where she is. But we got this computer. Mm-hmm. And, oh, all this technology. Can't you just look her up? Anne! Where's Maggie? And then talks to the baby doctor. He's talking about how he's just looking for Maggie. And he's like, I fell. I fell in love. To your friend of Maggie's? What happened to you? Oh, sorry. 
Okay. Um, I fell. <laughs> Evidently. Off a train. I fell in love. <laughs> Like it's it's kind of corny, but it's also kind of cute, and it's also kind of funny, and it's just it's sort of exactly what he needs to say at this point. Yeah, all this stuff like fish out of water cage is some of my favorite stuff in all of his films. You know, whenever his character is experiencing things for the first time or aware to something, some kind of new level of consciousness, it really showcases what he can do as an actor. And he's marching down the street, yelling at people that they can see him, they can see him, and he's walking for the first time for real, and he has to get to the hospital by chasing an ambulance because he can't teleport. Like, I love all this stuff. This is really good stuff. Oh, and then he's got a hitchhike to Lake Tahoe, right? And he, it's it's kind of fitting that Jordan's here because, as in Wild at Heart, he gets beat up by a, by a gang. That's but exactly th- what I wrote down. I said, this is just like Wild at Heart. <laughs> but this time, like, he doesn't do anything wrong. He's just sort of standing there. And I guess they're just going to, it's Los Angeles in the 90s. They're just going to mug him and, like, try to get a little bit of money. But, like, he's an angel. He has no money. Yeah, they oh, take yeah, his boots. That. I guess if you mug someone and get their boots, I guess that's fine. I don't know. That's well, I mean, like it's like not taking, much of a payoff. Taking something at least, right? It's like not only does he have to walk to Tahoe, but he's got to do it barefoot. And it's just like you know, as soon as he's become human, he's had sort of like nothing but like bad luck, right? Like he's kind of injured from the fall. He gets beat up. He has to hitchhike. It starts raining really hard. It's almost as if God's like pissing on him for giving up the angel status, being like, "Oh, you want to be human? Like, okay, here here's some humanity for you right out of the gate. Like, let's." Let's start it off kind of rough. Well, for this entire movie, too, he never cared about his backstory before. He never had a plan for, like, here's what I'm going to do. And this was exactly the same way. He was just like, guess I'm jumping off the building now. Guess I'm going to find Maggie now. Like, no plan behind it for how it will actually happen. And so it's kind of his own fault. But I think that he's also kind of weirdly okay with it. Yeah. Like, after an eternity, a literal eternity of feeling nothing, he'll be okay getting rained on. He'll be okay getting bugged. He's not getting killed. This is sort of the human experience, for better or worse. This is what he's wanted. Yeah, he's just, like, still so excited that he's going to go see her. <laughs> it's so cool. Which is, what? it's also kind of like Wild at Heart, where, like, he gets beat up at the end and then goes back to Lula and their kid and is just happy. <laughs> and it's kind of the same thing that happens here. He gets beat up and he recovers from it. And he's like, cool, I'm going to see Maggie. And what I like about this scene is that everything in his life is sort of going poorly, right? Like, you know, it's raining, he's getting beat up, he can't find his girl. But then Andre Brower sort of helps him out. They don't explicitly say this, but it feels like Andre Brower is the one who got that truck driver there and sort of gave Cage this little bit of a connection to sort of help him get to Maggie. Yeah, he cheats, like, within the first hour, and he's like, Cassio, how about a little bit of that angel magic? And it's like, dude, you know, it's all or nothing, is the way I'm sort of, but he's cute to the secret existence of angels, so he's like, ah, might as well just, like, use that if I need to. Through cheating or not, he does get to Tahoe, and he gets to her little cabin in the woods, and he gets there and finds out that she couldn't marry Jordan. This is it. Like, he's a human. She's a human. Like, they're ready to do this. And there's probably the creepiest compromising scene. Oh. There's like, oh, can you feel that? Like, like he's just, like, rubbing his hand. It's, just, it's supposed <laughs> to be, like, tender and romantic. But, like, it's just so creepy. Yeah. During this part of the movie, my roommate walked through the room to go to his room, and he looked at the TV and he said, they are not attractive, and then he kept walking, (laughs) and that is kind of the best way to describe it. Like, they're really trying their best, 
being sexy and touching each other, and it's just, I didn't like watching it. I mean, you were saying when you were on for Wild at Heart that Cage is not necessarily, at least to you, not an attractive man, but like you were attracted to him in Wild at Heart. Like, I'm assuming that's not the case in this movie? No, and Meg, I mean, Meg Ryan's real boring, too. Like, he's playing off nothing, because she's not, to me, she's not giving anything. Not like Laura Dern. And there's no chemistry between them, and it's just uncomfortable to watch. I would have loved, and I mean, maybe Mike, I don't know I don't know if you agree, but like, I would have loved to see Elizabeth Shue again in this movie, uh, him saving her, that like they were so good together in Leaving Las Vegas, and now it's almost like Meg Ryan is kind of low-rent Elizabeth Shue. They work together in the movie up until this point, and the sex scene just reveals they have no chemistry, at least not that I can see, and you guys are all right on all your points. Like, it's very uncomfortable. They might have, if they had gone with just like a stronger actress, perhaps, or they just seemed a little missing cast you know especially in this scene basically nick cage is losing his virginity right yeah (laughs) i thought that (laughs) and i had to wonder if he went back to the first time he had sex for this scene to sort of conjure (laughs) up what he needed (laughs) are we we are seeing meg ryan deflower nicholas cage and i don't want to see this (laughs) i mean just seeing it i don't want i want to unsee it it's almost sort of weirdly reminiscent of Kathleen Turner, like adult Kathleen Turner in Peggy Sue yes. Got Married deflowering Charlie Bodell. Yes. It's all these sort of like innocent cage characters thrust into the real world of sexuality by these like experienced older women, kind of. Not that Meg Ryan is older than Cage in the movie, but like in terms of like years of human experience, mm-hmm. he's zero and she's, you know, 30 or whatever. Yeah, I'm just trying to reconcile those three coincidences, right? Like, it's just strange that this is, you're right, it's the third time we've come across this. And uh, it's weird, like, is that, was that just a thing where if it's a female-centric film and you're trying to show that she's a strong woman, is showing her guide like a naive man through a sexual experience, like, was that a way to portray a stronger woman during this decade? They did a bad job at it, though. <laughs> they did a really bad job. Like, because talk, I didn't think about this that much because I didn't want to. That's a really interesting dynamic to have kind of a smart, powerful woman who hopefully knows herself sexually guide this man who's just become a human. Like, how beautiful and amazing could that be as a scene? And then to waste it with what they actually did. They waste it by saying lines like, do you feel that? And we were made to fit together. It's like romantic adjacent but just, like, enough off that it's just like, ugh. If those lines are delivered properly and set up properly, they could totally work. And they just so don't work in this. Yeah, I don't think it helps that it's basically a two-shot the whole time, right? (laughs) Like, (laughs) they're just profiles staring at each other on top of each other, sort of moving up and down a little bit, and it's just, uh, it just lingers too much, you know? And uh, they needed to cut more and have more coverage or something. What's annoying about this, and this goes back to something we talked about way earlier, this is what should have happened an hour earlier in the movie, right? Like, we're an hour and a half into an hour and 50-minute movie. He's finally a human, and then we kind of have, like, the fun and games segment, right? Like, he's experiencing things for the first time. 
he turns the shower on way too hot and burns himself. <laughs> he's like smelling her perfumes and sprays himself in the face. <laughs> like it's all these like fun little moments that like we would I would love to have seen more of earlier in the movie, but now because we're sort of up against the clock in terms of like wrapping up a story, it's happening as Meg Ryan's going to get breakfast, as they're cutting back and forth, and there's no dialogue, and I kinda like how it's shot. I realized, I'm like, oh no, like, one of them has to die. Like, it's not just a happy ending, because, like, the movie could end here if that was the case. Something really bad has to happen. This was where I remembered. I mean, I had seen this movie before, and this was when she went out and they were apart. That was where I remembered. And I couldn't remember which one of them was going to die, and I, but I knew it was one of them. It's so, again, like, such a waste that he has, such a waste for their relationship, that he has all these moments by himself. It would add such an extra dynamic, a fun dynamic between the two of them for her to be there when he's experiencing these dumb, silly things that he can't figure out because he's newly human. And she's not there for any of that. Yeah, it feels rushed. It feels like an afterthought almost in a weird way, you know? I mean, it, uh, you're right, Jordan. Like, <laughs> the impact would have been so much stronger if they shared those experiences together. And to have him do it alone, like, it, it just plays comically, you know? It just comes across as, like, kind of a joke in a way. And, like, we're also teased with, like, the potential of more experience. Like, she's got this beautiful sort of beginning of a breakfast laid out, like, all this fruit. Like, their relationship's sort of defined by fruit, I guess. Like, there's all these things that, like, they're going to experience together. Like, we never get any of it. And I guess that sort of makes her death hurt more because, like, we don't get more of it. But it's also like, well, this is the movie that I wanted to see. Like, why did you take so long to get here? So I had also seen this movie before but didn't remember a thing. But I knew how it ended so i had sort of been waiting for this moment the entire film like we had just been saying i actually thought that he was going to be human for most of the film and yeah it's just like when this next moment happens it just does not feel as earned as you know it could have been and he kind of senses that something's wrong like they're cutting back and forth and she's being stupid i mean i guess she's in love and just sort of trying to live life but she's riding her bike down the road and not looking where she's going and rides her bike into a logging truck and just, I guess, hits her. I don't know exactly. I mean, they don't really sh- I mean she seems pretty with it when she dies, but like she, I guess she rides into the logging truck, right? And he kind of senses that something's wrong and once again sprints to find her and gets to her. And she's like, oh no, like I screwed up. You came all this way. Like I just ruined everything. I screwed up. No. I wanted to show you everything. You will. You came all this way. I'm sorry. No. Oh, God, no, Meg. To touch you and feel you. To be able to hold your hand right now. Do you know what that means to me? Do you, do you know how much I love you? at me, okay? Look right in my eyes, okay? Someone's out there. Maggie! Oh. Don't look at them. Please, Maggie, no. Please don't you look at them. Is this what happens? This is what happens. When they ask me what I like the best, I'll tell them. 
the logging truck kind of cuts in front of her, right? And she yeah. notices it. The, what's kind of tragic was she realizes that she's going to crash and die, you know? Like, that look kind of comes across her face, the look of realization, like, this is the last moment kind of thing. I actually have to give it to Meg Ryan in that shot. I, she sold it for me. I don't know. Yeah, I can see what you're saying. And in that moment, it's almost like she was just like, well, this is it. And she doesn't even like he's he's, you know, cradling her on the ground. And I was upset because they didn't do a very good job making her look like she was dying. She does like Joey said before, she looks still like she's totally with it. Like she's not bleeding. She's a little bit dirty. But other than that, she looks fine. Yeah. But she's just like kind of resolved to die now. Like he's like, no, hang on, fight like we can do this. And she's like, no, I'm going. It's okay. I'm going to go. <laughs> it's in keeping with her total acceptance of anything that she experiences or hears or whatever. Like, she just completely, like, that's what I think I'm getting at. Like, I don't really think the moment was earned, but that look on her face is just like, oh, I'm going to die. Okay, I accept it. Like, <laughs> Nicholas Cage is here and it's like, don't worry. Like, I just accept everything that happens to me unconditionally. That was kind of a good arc for her over the whole movie because she was this doctor who earlier couldn't accept. She had this patient, you know, die on her table and she could not accept that he was dead she was holding his heart in her hands trying to pump it with her hands and i guess that is a pretty that's it i didn't pick up on it until we started talking about it but a nice arc for her character to become accepting of something that's happening and i think they do a pretty good job of just like that tragic irony at the end here you know like eh, it would have been better if you know he had experienced more with her i think instead of like they could have gone either way they went with you know we had that one day together and that day was better than not having one day together so here's a question would cage prefer life as an angel or life as a human without meg ryan doesn't he say that he's glad he did it because he got to spend the one day with her well it does take some sort of convincing and that's sort of a weird thing is he goes to andre brower and first he's like earlier he's like did you know we could become human and he's like what we could become human like get out of here man and then at the end he's like oh man like i'm human this sucks like what am i gonna do and he's like no 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 like you don't understand like this is living like living is the good and the bad and all of that i can't see you but i know you're there i'm sorry get out saf was it you were you the one were you there No. Why did he do this? I don't know. Because her number was up? What do you want me to say? Am I being punished? You know better than that. That's life. You're living now. And one day, you'll be dying. If you'd known this was going to happen... Would you have done it? I would rather have had one breath of her hair, one kiss of her mouth, one touch of her hand, than an eternity without it. 
And I think it's sort of that little moment where Seth, you know, that's where he goes and jumps into the ocean and all, you know, and he realizes that Meg Ryan opened this world to him to show him that there's all this stuff out there to experience and to love. And, and I don't think she needs to be there for him to enjoy the rest of his life because he had her want to make that switch, right? Like she was sort of the guiding force in him becoming human and that'll never change. You know, he'll always sort of have that to hold on to. And that's how the movie ends. Like, he just goes back to the beach, and he jumps in the water just like Dennis Franz did. Sort of like Dennis Franz, like just living life and just, this is his new existence now. I would love to see a sequel where we see what what he's doing. (laughs) He's working for Dennis Franz somewhere. it It could be literally about anything. Funny enough, the original Wings of Desire had two sequels. But I'm not sure about the third film, but I tracked down a synopsis of the second film, and it's sort of other angels watching the guy from the first movie sort of live his human life and how he's adjusted. I, we sort of talked about Wings of Desire already, but like anything else that you want to talk about there? I would definitely recommend watching Wings of Desire. They're kind of two completely different movies that use a lot of the same storytelling tropes you know like the similarities basically boil down to angels secretly walk around and listening to us and one becomes human that's about as similar as it gets wings of desire was made in 1987 takes place in west berlin so there's just a lot of post-world war ii context throughout the film it follows you know um, children uh, an adult and and an elderly man to sort of get these three different perspectives of what it's like living in the cold war state of berlin separated into east and west so it's going for a completely different message i would not have imagined it would have made a very good remake so what they did was sort of make this kind of like spiritual remake they took a lot of the ideas from that and americanized it and created a whole new story for that to play out anything else that you want to cover that we didn't cover already i'm good i can't even believe we talked about it for as long as we did <laughs> yeah i had a lot of i had more fun talk, which is usually the case with some of the movies i don't enjoy watching as much i had more fun talking about this than watching it again i'd like to recommend the original if you have a chance to it, it's more of like a neo-expressionistic film but peter falk is in it and he's fantastic in it so it's just another reason to see it so there's a couple little bit of Cage connections that I think are kind of cool. The first one that we already talked about is Cage at the Beach, right? If we're abiding by the rules that like all of Cage's movies kind of share the same universe, I and he's sort of the same character in all of them, or you know, the sort of like the continuation. We've talked a lot about how Cage is like sort of king of the beach, like that's where all his power comes from. And I would love to know that like Cage gets his power at the beach from this angelic music that's playing. He's so good on the beach in Best of Times and in Valley Girl and all these other movies because he's sort of hearing this angelic music and that's where he feels most comfortable. You know what was amazing about that last sort of shot of him in the ocean? He was doing that body surf and he caught like a really awesome tube, you know, and I'm pretty sure that was really him. And I was just like, you know, I think it's all connected. Like he probably grew up at the beach, was a beach bum, you know, surfed, was in the water. Because even Dennis Franz's characters, they're like, you're not going to be bodyboarding again anytime soon. And later at the end there, you see Cage do it and it's like perfect. And I was like, of course, you know, the beach is his domain. So a couple other little Cage connections is that when he's falling and he has those sort of black and white memories... We see a pregnant woman, and this pregnant woman was Elizabeth Shue. You never see her face, but you see her pregnant belly. Very strange. 
Is there uh, any uh, explanation for that, or is it just nope. sheer coincidence? Wow, that's it, all I know about it. It felt very much like just stock footage to me, or, you know, or like B-roll, or just there we go. Nope, it was Elizabeth Shue, and I guess that maybe explains why she wasn't in this movie. I don't know. Who knows? So one other little bit of trivia is that this is the third year in a row that Cage was nominated for Best On-Screen Duo at the MTV Movie Awards. <laughs> we talked about it last time that he won with Travolta for Face Off. What we didn't talk about was that he won with Sean Connery for The Rock. Uh, so we have like these two amazing action movies with great sort of mismatch pairs or like hero-villain. And then in this movie, we just have him and Meg Ryan. They did not win. And he's never been nominated again at any point in his career. Like, it was three years in a row, and that's it. But I just thought it was kind of funny that he was nominated three years in a row for this award, won two. Then he lost, probably in spectacular fashion here. And they were just like, all right, that's enough. You're, you're good. See, this movie doesn't exactly strike me as appealing to the MTV generation, <laughs> especially in the late 90s. I don't know. I saw, be- that's when I saw I was 12. Um, oh, but I bet it was because of the soundtrack. That's why I saw this movie, because I love those two songs. The reason they lost is because they went up against Jackie Chan and Chris Tucker in Rush Hour. And there's no way that you're going to beat them in a movie like this with this kind of relationship. The other things that they went up against, they're all, like, what's weird is they're all other sort of, like, romantic interests. Like, it's Armageddon, it's Ben Affleck and Liv Tyler, it's Freddie Prince Jr. and Rachel Lee Cook, and she's all that. And it's Ben Stiller and Cameron Diaz in There's Something About Mary. So it's all kind of like romantic boy-girl, and then it's just Jackie Chan and Chris Tucker taking it home. That's strange, but those other couples felt a little younger and more sort of geared toward MTV. You know, Something About Mary was a comedy, Armageddon was a big-budget action film. I don't know, I just think there's more going on in those films to appeal to teenagers than what was sort of happening here. Not that all of them wouldn't enjoy this film. I don't know. That's all I got. Apparently, the dialogue between Seth and Maggie, where he's like, let's go, where, I don't care, what will we do, anything, is virtually identical to an exchange between Cage and Deborah Foreman in Valley Girl. So it sort of, again, goes back to prove that like he's living the same story over and over again, that like he doesn't care where he is or what he's doing as long as he's with this girl. Yeah, it's just token fallen in love dialogue that <laughs> fits these types of situations where we're just head over heels with each other. What do you want to do? I don't care. Where do you want to go? Anywhere. The last thing I have is that when Cage and Messenger are in the diner, the coffee shop, having breakfast, in the background, the song If God Will Send His Angels by U2 is playing. And apparently when they filmed the music video for that song, they use that same diner. Oh, I like that. Nice. That's cool. Very cool. And that's all I've got about that. This movie's soundtrack was jam-packed with, you know, hits, pretty much, you know? We we talked a couple times about songs made for films. I don't know if any were written specifically for this movie, but I remember hearing these on the radio a lot. So that was City of Angels. For all things Cage Club, you can go to cageclub.me. You can read our reviews for every movie. You can listen to past podcasts. You can get links to our Twitters, to the iTunes page to subscribe and rate and review us on iTunes. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. I'm Jordan Poland-Clark. And we'll see you next time on Cage Club. Cage Club.